0: Our democracy is at stake. This might be the last watershed moment.
1: Hi, thank you for listening to Kay, Voice of Resistance. I'm your host, Kelly. What's up, you angry mob of snowflakes? Vote, vote, vote. Vote, vote, vote. Unless you are a candy-yam, because candy-yams can't vote. Election Day is creeping up, folks. Have you gotten your volunteer on? I mean, come on. No more excuses. Outside of the campaign I'm working on, I and a friend have been registering voters at a place that provides care, transitional housing, and lunch to the homeless. Everybody bow down before my beneficence. Yeah, but really, it feels really good to be doing this, and... It's been a really great experience. It's important because everyone's voice matters in this democracy and something like this that tells people that they can participate in this society in a society that to many of them, I am sure, feels has rejected them. And as great as the experience of doing this has been, the other day, this woman politely came up to us and hesitantly asked us if it was mandatory that she register. We said of course not and encouraged her to register because it was important that our voice be heard. And she said that she'd better not because she'd only recently finalized her U.S. citizenship process and didn't want to do anything that would make trouble or jeopardize her standing. It is heartbreaking that after all the effort that she likely put into becoming a citizen, that she is still scared that participating in our shared democracy could lead to her very ousting from this country. This, I am sure, is a common fear in the best of times, but under the current regime, that fear must be far more profound and widespread. Nothing we said could have made her feel better about this, and I can scarcely blame them. That is one of many, many reasons why those of us who are fortunate enough to have our citizenship or have been born citizens to the U.S. are all the more obligated to exercise this vital civic duty. Our vote is our voice. And we are not just speaking for ourselves. We are speaking for our community. We are speaking for those who are simply too frightened to speak for themselves. You don't have to be a fan of politics to participate in it. You don't have to support the system to vote to change it. And you don't have to find a candidate perfect to vote for them, as long as they are better. Politics, the political system, and the candidates can change. But only if we vote for the change we want to see. It is not the midterms or the elections. It is our midterms and our elections. And I get it, if volunteering is not your bag, then just bring a buddy to vote. You know how I know you can? Because you're special and I like you. No, because it's the least we can do if we wish to be afforded the right to bitch about our country without being smacked upside the head. As our former president explains.
0: I don't care about politics. Look, I don't care about Pokemon, but that doesn't mean it won't keep on coming back. That's actually what people in power are betting on, that you'll check out, that you won't vote. And when you opt out, that's what allows other people to essentially fill that void. It allows them to do nothing about the things that you'd like to see government do. So if you really wanna throw a wrench in their plans, throw them out. Vote in somebody better.
1: The great feminist Gloria Steinem says on page 176 of My Life on the Road, which, by the way, is a great read if you're looking for a new book to pick up. But she writes, quote, We must not only vote, but to fight to vote. The voting booth really is the place on earth where the least powerful equal the powerful. Unquote. The good news is, the left is motivated, and according to Politico, Democrats are donating record amounts to House candidates heading into the midterms. In the 70 most contested races, the GOP has reserved $60 million in TV ads, compared to $109 million for Democrats since late July. And we are largely talking grassroots funding. So
0: Robert E. Lee was a great job
1: and Abraham Lincoln developed a phobia that Lincoln was some kind of snowflake wasn't he while well, our president is praising a traitor to this country who killed countless Americans all in the name of keeping his precious slaves, while Donnie and Kanye were doing aerial somersaults for the media, while Trump was mocking women's looks, accusing Hillary of colluding with Russia, elating himself on television, and being a one-man PR machine for Saudi Arabia after they tortured and dismembered a Washington Post reporter who was a resident of the U.S., even as... He was mocking sexual assault victims, lying about everything from black unemployment numbers to high crimes and misdemeanors, just as he was dangling the firing of Rod Rosenstein, the only man standing between the firing of Robert Mueller and him before us, during his calls for a white man's due process on the exhale to the chorus of Lock Her Ups on the inhale. As he was criticizing the Fed among rising interest rates and in an 800 point falling stock market, writing op eds in USA Today, ripe with lies, misrepresentations about Medicare and health insurance in general, as Trump howls, I want more industry, I want more energy, and sings the praises of ethanol, threatening, no, sorry, <laughs> suggesting that Ivanka assume Nikki Haley's newly vacated role as US ambassador. Haley, who is the sixth cabinet official to depart, leaving just four racial or ethnic minorities and five women out of Trump's 23 cabinet members, as Trump announced the 18th wave of federal court nominees, all of whom were successfully pushed through the Senate under Senator Turtle McConnell, with little to no resistance from Democrat Chuck Schumer and the rest. A record number of judges have been confirmed, including 29 to the circuit courts, 53 to the district courts, and last but not least, two to the Supreme Court, making Trump nominees a whopping 15% of circuit court seats. As a reminder, during Obama's second term, McConnell allowed floor votes on just 22 judicial nominees. Even as the GOP, as a unified front of Republicans, cast us snowflakes on the left as an angry mob that threatens the country's order. As FBI jackboots raided Sam Juan's mayor, Carmen Yulin Cruz's office, just after Trump accused her, her of corruption. Cruz, who is well known for criticizing Trump for abandoning Puerto Rico after Maria leading to the deaths of nearly 3,000 people. And as the Trump regime is actively considering plans that would once again separate migrant parents and children at the southern border seeking to deter the flow of families trying to cross illegally, the number of migrant members charged with illegally crossing the border jumped 38% in August to a record level. Trump has been unable to fulfill his promise to build a wall or end the practice of catch and release. As they consider offering desperate migrant families what is called, quote, binary choice, unquote, Detain families together for 20 days, then give them the option of seeking asylum or allow the children to be taken into government custody. And the other option being considered includes new rules to withdraw from the 1997 federal court agreement that limits ICE custody of children 20 days and imposes production quotas on immigrant judges. While the New York Times reported on hearings in a New York immigration court where a judge had nearly 30 children to hear from whose ages ranged from 2 through 17 years old in one afternoon with a five fold increase from mate of 2017 of children being held in federally contracted shelters, more and more children are coming to court, including children under the age of six, which was a rarity until last year. And as the AP reported, even though Trump's zero tolerance policy ended, hundreds of children remain in detention shelters or foster care and more than 200 are not eligible for reunification or release. An investigation of court documents, immigration records and interviews found holes in the system that allow, State court judges to grant custody of migrant children to American families without notifying their parents. And as the New Yorker reported that in July, after crossing the border and being separated from her mother, a five year old girl seeking asylum from Honduras was detained and persuaded to sign away her rights. As the Intercept reported that according to New York report published by Amnesty International, a number of families separated under zero tolerance at the border may be thousands more than originally reported. Customs and Border Protection detailed the separation of six thousand twenty-two family units, a term that sometimes refers to family group. Amnesty estimates four thousand children were separated, not two thousand five hundred, as was reported by the regime. A representative from Amnesty International said the only way to get. The re- to, to get to the real number would be a, a, a congressional inquiry, which, as we know, is not going to happen until we vote them out. Obama! Obama! And as CNN reported that ICE put a four year old girl on a plane to Guatemala to be reunited with her father, her father was not informed until 30 minutes before her flight landed, and he lives eight hours away. Even. As the WAPA reported that Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross and his aides are fighting not to answer the question in court of which office pushed Ross to add a racist citizenship question to the 2020 census, which is going to mess up population counts and funding to the states for 10 years, for a decade, as... Elizabeth Warren politicizes her Native American ancestry in response to Trump's racist attacks, and that, as the Southern Poverty Law Center reported, neo Nazis and racists are rejoicing over Kavanaugh's appointment to the Supreme Court, calling it, quote, open season, unquote, on women, on LGBTQ, and on minority rights. While David Duke is singing anti Semitic ballads. The neo-Nazi website Daily Stormer featured a photo of bound and gagged women, including one tossed over a man's shoulder and an exploding planned parenthood clinic. It also features a photo of Elliot Rodger, who murdered six people and injured 14 in Isla Vista, California, an act he said was in retribution for sexual rejection by women. Roger has become an icon among the incel, otherwise known as the involuntary celibate community, male supremacist, and the far-right. Daily Stormer contributor Lee Rogers wrote of women, quote, The logical conclusion to this is that they secretly desire to be raped. Not only is being raped sexually fulfilling for many women, spelt W-O-M-Y-N, but in our existing social order, women who are raped, are showered with additional attention. So in essence, these women want to fulfill their rape fantasies while simultaneously having access to extra attention that this victim status provides them. Are you kidding me? Unquote. This, as Senator Lindsey Graham said on Fox News on Sunday that, quote, Trump's third term is looking better and better, unquote. As HuffPost reported that Environmental Protection Agency chief Andrew Wheeler engaged with racist and inflammatory content on his personal Facebook and Twitter accounts over the past five years, including last month, as BuzzFeed uncovered... As BuzzFeed uncovers in an email obtained under the Freedom of Information under the Freedom of Information Act request, where then Secretary Homeland Security John Kelly called Senator Elizabeth Warren a quote "impolite, arrogant woman," unquote in an email to an aide, and Michael Colney, a Republican official in Kansas, resigned after saying on social media that quote "radical socialist, kickboxing, lesbian, Native American, Sharice Davids." Will be, quote, sent packing to the reservation, unquote. And Teresa Klein, a white woman in Brooklyn, New York, called the police falsely claiming a nine year old black boy touched her behind the deli. The boy and another child burst into tears after Klein confronted them. The commotion was captured on a video and even posted on Facebook, where Klein was officially dubbed corner store Caroline. Even as our Supreme Court enables mass voter disenfranchisement by refusing to intervene with North Dakota's voter ID law, specifically targeting Native American residents with the requirement to show a street address in order to vote, which was done to directly cut into Democratic Senators Heidi Heitkamp's voting base in a close race. At the same time in Georgia, Secretary of State Brian Kemp, who is also the Republican running for governor, announced... 53,000 voter registrations were flagged and would be put on hold. Of those on hold, 70% were Black Americans. Georgia NAACP and Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights sued Kemp, seeking to reopen the voter registration in Georgia to ensure the 53,000 registrants and others can vote in the midterms. Kemp's Democratic opponent, Stacey Abrams, is rightfully calling for him to resign to which he has refused. Georgia has purged a total of 1.5 million voters between the 2012 and 2016 elections. And it didn't stop there, folks. Not in our great country, not in the land of the free. As the Houston Chronicle reported, Jacob Aronowitz, a field director for Democratic congressional candidate Mike Siegel, was arrested after delivering a letter demanding the county update the status of students, giving them their rightful voting rights. Before his arrest, the cops asked him what a party he was in. And when the kids said Democrat, he was promptly arrested. And as all of this is going down, going around, and going on, there are people. Good people. Honest people. All across the country, trying to make a difference in this fractured country of ours. Real everyday people, hardworking people who have said enough. Someone has to do something. Why not me? We are about to hear from one such person. Welcome to episode three of our Candidate Series. My name's Mark Bignell. I'm running for Michigan
0: State Senate, uh, 33rd District, which encompasses Montcalm, Acosta, Isabella, Claire, and Gratiot counties. I'm running as the Democratic nominee, hoping to bring back community values and bring the people's voice back to Lansing. These days, Lansing's not responsive to the people's needs, and I want to change that. How so? We need to know what's going on in Lansing, and they're not very transparent in their dealings. Freedom of Information Acts for Michigan don't go honored in Lansing. We need good functional roadways in Michigan. Our roads are failing. I believe we earned a D rating the last time there was a report card. Our schools are failing across all metrics. No matter how you break down the test scores, uh, every class, race, gender is doing worse. Even the affluent are doing worse in schools these days.
1: What do you attribute to the decline in education?
0: We really don't know what all the issues are. I I would love, you know, I would love to see the teachers and administrators, parents come to Lansing and help address what the issues give us, their experience, so you know, their firsthand experience on that.
1: Yes, that's a great idea. How is the campaign trail treating you? Chaotic. I bet. What do you usually do when you're not campaigning?
0: During the week, it's truck driving, and that's what I'm doing now. On the weekends, it's usually family with the kids and wife. But uh, Lately, it's been online campaigning during my breaks over the road, and, and then on the weekend, it's campaigning with uh, wife, kids, volunteers.
1: So you're keeping up your normal life and your normal job as well as campaigning? Yes. Wow.
0: Just like back in college, I was a non traditional student. I was full-time at college, full-time at work, full-time dad.
1: That's the kind of people I think we need in public it takes people who understand what it's like to be a normal person.
0: Absolutely. Not every day you get somebody from the working class running for an office.
1: No, there's not. It's one of the things that really intrigued me about you And I was reading all of your stuff. You're very close to your family, obviously. How are they holding up while you're so busy right now?
0: Well, like any normal family, they, uh, they're enduring the stress and the anxiety and generally just not having me around during the week. And they're weathering the stress on the weekend as well as any, any family could.
1: Is this something that they support? Are they rooting for you? Yes, wholeheartedly. I'm
0: getting a lot of uh, cheerleading from home, oh. especially on the weekend. Um, my wife put some, some newspaper clips from uh, some stories about me, put up in the hallway for inspiration.
1: Oh, that's wonderful.
0: Yeah, I was uh, blown away when I first saw it. <laughs>
1: That's important. Without your family in your corner, I can't imagine how you'd be doing all this.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Without them behind me supporting me, I wouldn't have made it past the primary. Can
1: imagine. Agriculture is very big in your district.
0: It's one of our biggest industries.
1: Do you have any idea how, if the trade tariffs are affecting your farmers at all?
0: Yeah, oh. We produce uh, a lot of soy in our district, and the trade tariffs uh, and canceled orders are hitting family farmers, especially hard.
1: No, that's such a shame. It's
0: unbelievable.
1: I know that your district went for Trump.
0: I do know that a lot of supporters of mine are actually supporters of Trump, too.
1: Bernie and Trump also wound up with crossover supporters, and same with Obama and Trump. It's an interesting cross-section that he kind of drew out. What do you attribute to that?
0: People disaffected just wanting change. People wanting to hear something different, something calling out to the working class.
1: Campaign finance reform is obviously a very big deal and a very hot topic right now. I know it's important to you. Explain how campaign finance laws have affected the races in your district.
0: So a lot of PAC money's running into one of my opponent's uh, coffers right now. I kept a very close track of what he's raised, but I've seen money from various interest groups from outside state coming to him.
1: Really? Is that your Republican opponent? Yes. And how are you funding your campaign?
0: I'm funding my campaign from individual passive donations and unions that wish to donate. And it's 100% people funded.
1: That's what we need. It has to be more of a challenge, yes?
0: It is. Uh, My greatest challenge is to Make sure I get the most impact for every dollar donated.
1: I bet. Well, it shows you've got to be good with money.
0: Went to school to become a professional accountant. I withdrew in my final year.
1: Uh, Family?
0: Uh, Medical reasons.
1: Oh, I'm sorry to hear that.
0: Well I would love to go back, but interest on those loans took me beyond the first two financial aid caps so i'm not I can't really afford to go back. We need more uh tuition assistance, more financial aid uh more controls on on tuition itself. I would love to see the first two years minimum be completely state funded. I would love to see people be able to go beyond high school and get an associate's debt free.
1: And you know, with this and, and with other progressive policies, the pushback is always, well, how are you going to pay for it?
0: I'm, I'm obviously not running for a federal office. But right. If, if I were, I would say we can pay for trillion dollar tax cuts and wars endlessly, but somehow we can't pay to better our own populations. I don't buy that argument.
1: Very important, especially right now, is election security. How would you suggest we help ensure voters make sure their vote will be counted?
0: Well, the accountant in me screams out paper trail and automatic voter registration in the state. Yes. We have the databases and we have the technology. We have the means to guarantee 100% election security.
1: Your district is Republican right now, is that correct?
0: My district typically swings and votes for Republicans, yes. But uh, our state doesn't require citizens to register to parties. So what I've been saying in this election is my district is 100% Michiganders.
1: How would you describe yourself? I know labels are complicated, and it strikes me that everybody has different definitions for the labels, especially on the left. Liberal, progressive, Democrat. Where do you put yourself on that spectrum?
0: I would put myself in the spectrum of progressive Democrat. I would define progressive as oriented towards solutions for the people, for advancing our common good.
1: Where do you stand on marijuana legalization?
0: I stand with am I legalized? and the proposition to regulate it like alcohol. My state seems to be leaning towards legalizing. There's a lot of energy behind that movement.
1: It also helps the incarceration rates, which, as you know, is a huge problem.
0: Yes, and I have several policies on uh, criminal justice reform for Ending those sentences of people that were convicted of nonviolent possession charges and expunging their records. If you want to cut the size of government, we should cut the size of the people that are incarcerated. That's such a
1: good point. Talk about red tape.
0: Absolutely. And and huge budgets. Those budgets could be better allocated towards our roads, our education, and our college programs.
1: If you had to pick two of your top issues that you're most passionate about, what would those two be?
0: reforming state government to make it more accountable and responsive to the people, which is why I signed the candidates with a contract uh, Contract with the people of the 33rd. If I don't support those proposals or introduce them within the first year, I agree to, to uh, resign.
1: Uh, who put forward this contract? Tell us about that.
0: This contract was originally drafted by me and some other volunteers with the Citizens Coalition for democratization. They're a group uh, out of California.
1: One other position that really lights your fire?
0: Uh, Mental health reform. See, uh, end of bureaucracy for people being admitted or receiving care. There shouldn't be red tape for people that are already having problems. I'm passionate about this because my daughter has a litany of issues, and she needs people to be advocates for her.
1: That's uh, very near and dear to my heart as well for for my own personal reasons. So thank you for that. I I very much admire and respect that position. And I'm sorry about your daughter. It sounds like she has a good father on her side. I hope to be. Mental health is too often treated like a weakness rather than an, an illness and need more advocates out there.
0: Sometimes mental health is actually treated like a... Uh... Criminal enterprise, or yes, discipline issues in school. Yes, and and I've certainly heard that from some of her old teachers that they think that her problems are one hundred percent discipline.
1: Putting it on the parent and passing the buck, and it's it's the stigma, and nothing gets solved when until we start lifting the stigma and get adequate health care. I could go on about this, (laughs) but you know,
0: I understand we're (laughs) living this reality.
1: Yeah, I am. uh, I am so sorry for your struggles. And I am, again, I'm really happy that she has you on her side. Um, no, sorry, go
0: ahead. I was just gonna say thank you.
1: Sure, sure. There's people who may be wanting to run but are a little bit on the fence for Reasons of fear or reasons of being busy, like you are?
0: Well, over the last year, I've learned how convoluted some of our election laws are and our reporting laws and our reporting mechanisms. And I have I would advocate that anybody that wants to run, do their research ahead of time. That way they're not overwhelmed when they jump into this the circus. Uh, there's just so much technical details in, in my state for staying on the right side of the law, on the campaign finance and reporting requirements. I would say do your research before you start.
1: I'm working on a campaign right now for a state Senate candidate, and I had no idea how convoluted and complicated all that stuff was. Things about, oh, people can donate in cash $99 but not $100, and just the weirdest stuff. Oh, but $101 is okay. Like, the weirdest stuff.
0: I, I, I get looking at the laws themselves, and they seem to be designed to keep people from running. They look like pitfalls that average people are running are designed to fall into.
1: Very often, it seems like we find the powers that be do their best to try to decrease democracy, be it in voting, and I would imagine in encouraging people to run too. So, hold the desire for the hold on power is powerful. So, what vision do you have for your district?
0: I would like to see our schools reformed. I would like to see the teachers, administrators, and parents become more involved in Lansing and help reform the school system. I would love, when elected, to bring all parties to Lansing to help lead the discussion on reforming Michigan schools. I would love to see comprehensive reform in how we fund our roadway maintenance and reconstruction. Michigan currently funds... There are roads at half the rate of the other Midwestern states around us. I would love to see that addressed.
1: Seems like infrastructure is failing everywhere.
0: It's par for the course when you cut budgets without addressing the needs or understanding what the consequences are in the future. You see... The cutting budgets just for the sake of cutting budgets of starving the beast comes to, with consequences of failing roads, failing schools. Basically, you see apathy in action over the course of decades.
1: The one last thing I want to ask you, okay. women are very frightened right now of their rights being restricted. Would you support policies that might help protect women's rights for health care in your district?
0: Absolutely. I would support policies that advance, advocate, and protect women's rights. Excellent. And in fact, I am endorsed by Planned Parenthood Advocates of Michigan.
1: Oh, fantastic. I
0: endorsed by Michigan Equity Pack.
1: Okay, that's about all I wanted to know. Uh, can you tell us where uh, we can find you, how people can look you up, like your website and
0: stuff? Uh, my website is Big Mark for Senate, all spelled out. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter at, at Mark Bignell and Facebook at, at Big Mark for Senate. Always looking for volunteers, help, donations. The most important thing is time and volunteers.
1: How important is this election for people to vote?
0: This election is crucial. I I believe our republic, our democracy is at stake. This might be the last watershed moment.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for sticking with me and this episode of K Voice of Resistance. You can stream or download this show at crabdiving.com under the K Voice tab or on your favorite podcasting app. Follow me on Facebook at K Voice of Resistance. Check out the Crab Diving Podcast with hosts Patrick Vile and comedian Ryan Piper, two hours a day, Monday through Friday. If you want a rundown of all the headlines in the news, and all the news you're probably missing beneath the headlines, all right, guys, take care of yourselves out there. And as always, resist.